think that was a little junior, uh, junior Bill Gates right there who was trying to trade shares. <clears throat> Outdated. Welcome. Good morning. My name is Brett. I'm one of the pastors at Bridgewater, and we are starting a brand new series called Outdated, just like that commercial. And we live in a world where, where things become outdated. In fact, I pulled up at a stoplight the other day, and to my right was an AMC four-wheel drive Eagle, one of the first four-wheel drive cars. And I said to my son, I said, hey, check that out right there. One of the first four-wheel drive cars right there. And AMC, he's like, AMC? I was like, ah, okay, never mind. It's outdated. They don't know. <clears throat> so we live in a world where things become outdated. And unfortunately, theology becomes outdated too. And so our series we're going to talk about is uh, things that are in the Bible that we kind of have decided are outdated and are no longer relevant. Um, there are things in our world that are outdated. If you lived in the 1800s, you would probably <clears throat> be wearing <clears throat> something like this. <laughs> and some of you do. Um, we have some youth workers here who know that they work with people who sometimes wear things like that. Um, or if you were in the 70s, this may be a his and hers that we would find. <clears throat> that is so happening. And quite honestly, that is almost back. <laughs> you just wait. It'll, it'll be back around. Um, and then if you, if you were in the 80s, it's amazing how, how some things just start outdated. You know, was there ever a time when that was... Something we should have done in public, come on. It's like Richard Simpson, Simmons just like was born outdated and just kind of lived that way his whole life. Short shorts are back, but they are outdated. Yes, he was an exercise person in case somebody's out there that doesn't have any idea why I would show this demented picture. This is a very famous man who helped people exercise and attempt to lose weight. And the outfit just makes me want to lose weight. <laughs> Let's move on. So, <clears throat> it's distracting to me. Yeah. <laughs> and the legs are so tan and smooth. Um, <laughs> sorry. Outdated. Well, here's what happens in the Bible. In the Bible, we, as people, oftentimes find things that we don't like. And so we, we quickly decide that <laughs> we've moved on from them. And so specifically in this series, we're going to look at a few of the things in the Bible that are outdated, but they're still in the Bible, and they're still true. Um, so before we get into that, I'd like to talk a little about the Bible. The, the series is going to be based on a premise that this book is true, and everything in it is true, even the stuff that's hard to believe. Some... Some people would say, well, I want to believe that some of it is true and some of it is not. The, the problem with doing that is who decides what parts are true and what parts aren't? Either, either we decide as, as human beings, each individually say, you know what, ah, I really like this part, I'm going to believe this. Ah, I don't really like that part, I'm not going to believe that. Okay, well, that doesn't, <clears throat> doesn't seem right. All of a sudden, we're elevating ourselves up to a, a supernatural status and deciding on our own what's right and what's wrong. Um, so some people would say, well, I think a group of people should decide. Yeah, if a group just decided, <clears throat> but I can think of a lot of groups in our world who are deciding things all the time that are terribly wrong. 
I mean, there was a large group that decided slavery was just fine, right? And we would say, what, what were they thinking? There's a large group over in Europe now that, just, that think that attacking Ukraine is fine. Well, groups of people are not a great authority either. So, as a, as a follower of Jesus, at Bridgewater, we have decided that God's word is true. And it's not a group of people, it's not a group of pastors that decide. It's, it's what God said. And so when we quickly want to outdate something, like today we're going to talk about hell. And, and when people decide that, yeah, <laughs> I know, but hell is so 1800s. You know, surely he didn't mean that. Couldn't it just be that a loving God just, just loves a little less? Like, you know, could, and I would say hell has become outdated. So if you have your Bibles, turn to Luke chapter 16. Jesus talks about hell, specifically. Actually, Jesus talks more about hell than he does about heaven. There are more verses in Scripture about hell from Jesus than there are about heaven. So he had some things to say about it. And today we're going to look at three mistakes, three surprises about heaven that we would say, whoa, I didn't know that was true. And we're going to look specifically at this uh, this teaching of, of Jesus, the rich man and Lazarus, and it is called a parable, which is a story Jesus told in order to make a point. Interestingly, this parable is the only parable where Jesus names somebody in the parable, Lazarus. And so some Bible scholars say, well, maybe it wasn't really a parable. Maybe it really was based on this true story. Um, we don't know that. All we know is Jesus said it, and there's truth in it. And so I want to dive in and look at what the Bible says about hell. And if the Bible is true, and if the, what the Bible says about hell is true, then how should we live? So Luke chapter 16, beginning with verse 19, here's what it says. It says there was a, a certain rich man, a rich man, who was dressed in purple and fine linen, and lived in luxury every day. Okay, so he starts out by saying, there's this guy who was filthy rich. Now, filthy rich, we know, not just wealthy, but really, really wealthy, because he was wearing purple. And back then, in order to get purple, there was a dye in a, in a shellfish that you had to get out in order to make purple, specifically purple. And so, if somebody was wearing purple, it meant that they were very, very wealthy. This guy probably even had running water. That's how wealthy he was back then. So we've got this filthy rich man, <clears throat> very, very wealthy. Verse, uh, oh, and uh, verse 20, at, at his gate was laid a beggar named Lazarus. Okay, so now we've got a rich man and a beggar, covered in sores and longing to eat what fell from the rich man's table. Even the dogs came and licked the, his sores. Okay, the time came when the beggar died. And the angels carried him to Abraham's side. The rich man also died and was buried in Hades, it's another word for hell, where he was in torment, this rich man. He looked up and saw Abraham far away with Lazarus at his side, by his side. So he called to him, Father Abraham, have pity on me and send Lazarus to dip the tip of his finger in water and cool my tongue. Because I am in agony 
in this fire. But Abraham replied, Son, remember that in your lifetime you received very your good things, while Lazarus received bad things. But now he is comforted here, and you are in agony. <clears throat> the first and, and I think biggest surprise that Jesus gives us is this. Good people go there. Good people go to hell. Now, here's what I mean. <clears throat> in, in the illustration of Lazarus or, and the rich man, there was, there was nothing. What did the rich man do? Being rich is not a sin. Daniel was wealthy. Abraham was wealthy. Joseph was wealthy. David King David was wealthy. King Solomon was wealthy. There, there are plenty of men in the Bible who were very, very, very wealthy. <clears throat> in fact, King, King Solomon was so wealthy, he, he received, the Bible tells us, he received over $4.6 billion in gold every year from the nations around Israel. $4.6 billion a year. Solomon was extremely wealthy. <clears throat> Wealth doesn't get us to hell. Lazarus was seemingly a, a good man. There was nothing in there except, I mean, I guess if you said, well, what did he do? <clears throat> it may not be what he did. <clears throat> it might be what he didn't do. Most people think that, that sin is only bad actions, but, but we're told that the rich man was so wealthy, and you've got Lazarus, this guy, beggar, and it says Lazarus, it doesn't say that the rich man gave Lazarus, the scraps that fell from his table. It says that Lazarus wanted the scraps that fell from the rich man's table. So apparently there was a lack of generosity. So, so maybe sin isn't just what we do. Sin is also what we don't do that we should do. Apparently the rich man was not generous says there was Lazarus, says he was outside. It says that he wanted to have the scraps that fell from the table of the rich man. It doesn't say that the rich man gave him the scraps. I, I, I guess the only thing we could point to in the rich man was we've all sinned, and he was a sinner. And the Bible says that if we don't confess our sins, and recognize that we need a savior, somebody who can forgive us and be our leader and forgiver, then we don't have a relationship with Jesus Christ and we don't go to heaven. That, that must, must be it. And, and I would say there are plenty of moral people in our world who have never placed their faith and trust in Jesus Christ alone for salvation. And they live this entire life being a good person Oh, well, they were such a good person. Most people in America feel they are good people. In fact, there was a poll. Only 2% of Americans felt like they were going to go to hell when they died. 64% believed they would go right to heaven. 34% didn't have any idea whether there was a heaven or a hell, so they couldn't answer the question. So 2% of Americans don't believe that they're good enough. to go to heaven. But the surprising truth is good people, people who are moral people, people who live their life 
being good, they still, they still end up in hell. Unfortunately, um, Matthew 7, Jesus, Jesus says this, um, that most people will go to hell. Here's what he says. Enter through the narrow gate, for wide is the gate and broad is the road that leads to destruction. And many enter through it. But small is the gate and narrow is the road that leads to life. And only a few find it. See, the reality is there will be a lot more people in hell than there will be in heaven. And Jesus is saying there's, there, there's, a, there's a wide gate. There's a lot of people heading towards hell. And Jesus says there in Matthew 7, there's a narrow road and there are a few that are headed to heaven. But I think we get thinking, you know, talk about outdated. Oh, come on. He wouldn't judge that many people. I mean, they're, come on. They're, those are good people. But the Bible is very clear that it's not just being good that gets us to heaven. Jesus doesn't want people to go to hell. Um, 2 Peter 3, verse 9, it says, uh, Jesus is patient with you, not wanting anyone to perish, but everyone to come to repentance. Let's see, Luke, Luke 16, let's keep going. Verse, verse 26, here's what, here's what Jesus said. Besides all this, oh, this is Abraham, remember, talking to the rich man. The rich man has said, please, just have Lazarus dip the end of his finger in water and touch my tongue. And, and Abraham is answering him, saying, I, I, I can't do that. He says, and besides all this, between us and you, a great chasm has been set in place. So that those who want to go over from here to you cannot, nor can anyone cross over from there to us. He answered, then, so the rich man then answered, then I beg you, Father, send Lazarus to my family, for I have five brothers. Let him warn them so that they will not also come to this place of torment. It is interesting to me that the rich man has become the beggar. Did you catch that? Lazarus was the beggar, and then you had this rich man. Now all of a sudden, Lazarus is, is in heaven with Abraham, and, and the rich man is in torment in hell, and all of a sudden the rich man is saying, I beg you. He became the beggar. Because the second surprise, which may not be a surprise, hell is horrific. Worse than we think. I was looking up uh, the different words and terms of hell, Sheol and Gehenna and Hades, and there are, there are several others, but all of the terms in the Bible of hell just speak of death and destruction and judgment and bad. Hell is horrific. We're worse than we think. You've got this rich man saying, please, just a drip of water, just a drip of water on my tongue. I think hell is, is <clears throat> horrific because it's permanent. There's, there's no second chance for the rich man. There's nowhere the rich man gets out and goes back to talk to his brothers. 
He is stuck there. It is permanent. So you've got death and destruction and, and in hell, and you've got the permanence of hell. Here, here's what somebody, uh, John Piper, said about hell. He said, it will be unspeakably terrible for everyone who goes there. Just unspeakably terrible. Without any experience of good, no sight of beauty, no pleasant sounds, no bodily pleasures, no gratified appetites, no satisfied desires, no hopes fulfilled. That's always. Those who joke that they'd rather be in hell drinking with their buddies than in heaven with stuffy saints are ignorant of reality in a terrifying way. It's not funny. They will not be having a good time. <clears throat> the, the crazy thing is, I don't even think we know how bad it will be. Because we, we don't know how to really describe hell, except that it is not a place that we would want to, to live in. It's horrific. The rich man was living there and, and didn't want his brothers to go there. Good people end up in hell. Hell is terrific. Horrific. It's not terrific. Hell is horrific. That was a, a slip. Um, the Bible also says that, um, that what God gave us here, the Bible, is the best witness to keep people from hell. I don't know if you realize that, but we... We have everything we need to keep people out of hell right here. Look, look, at what, uh, look at what Jesus says in this parable. Verse 29. Abraham replied, this is after the rich man said, please send somebody back to tell my five brothers. Okay. Abraham replied, they have Moses and the prophets. He was referring to the Old Testament scriptures. Okay. They have the Old Testament scriptures. They didn't have the New Testament yet. But they had the first 39 books. They have the Old Testament scriptures, the, the Mo Moses and the prophets. Let them listen to them. No, Father Abraham, he said, but if someone from the dead goes to them, they will repent. Abraham replied to him, if, if they do not listen to Moses and the prophets, they will not be convinced, even if someone rises from the dead. There was a misconception that the rich man had that if somebody wowed them with a miracle, with a miraculous return from the dead, then his five brothers would be like, oh, okay, we believe. There must be a heaven and hell. We believe that we need a Savior. Abraham said, no. No, they won't. No, they've got the Bible. <laughs> they have everything they need. <clears throat> I think uh, people do not struggle to believe because of a lack of supernatural evidence, they struggle to believe because they choose to ignore it. I mean, we have this tendency to think, well, if an angel appeared before me, <clears throat> oh man, then, then you'd get me. Like, th but think back to the Bible. Jesus performed miracles all the time, and most people treated him like he was an entertainer. And immediately after he did those miracles, they returned back to their normal lives and thought nothing of it. Lazarus 
a different Lazarus, was raised from the dead in John chapter 11. Do you know what the response was of the people? They wanted to kill him and Jesus. When Jesus rose from the dead and a bunch of people saw him alive, they said it was a hoax. It's, it's a look-alike. It's a hallucination. You see, I don't, I don't think that a miracle is what we need. We have everything we need. Abraham said, do you have everything you need in the Bible? It's not a lack of evidence that people need. <clears throat> we should not assume that enormous evidence will change someone's belief. And I wrote this down. Don't, don't underestimate people's ability to look at enormous amounts of evidence and still not believe. <clears throat> I, uh, I think sometimes I can think, well, it's just not fair. <clears throat> In the Bible times, you know, they had all these prophets and these cool miracles. And look at their, they're doing that. Oh, yeah, well, and look at this. Whoa, smoke. Um, if we just had that. But the reality is, we have more than that. We have the Bible. The Bible is not leftovers. It's a main meal. It is all that it takes. It is powerful and active and sharper than a double-edged sword, able to somehow pierce between somebody's spirit and soul. You think about that. Like, crazy. Crazy. The Bible can convict people. The Bible can be a mirror that we can look into it and see the real us. We don't need a prophet. We don't need Moses. Abraham says, no, 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 you have the Bible. Your five brothers, they have the Bible. They have everything they need to believe. Now, they may choose not to, But if they're going to choose not to, a miracle wouldn't do it either. In in 2 Peter, Peter says that the word of God is is even better and more certain than the Old Testament saints. And I think that's interesting that Peter went on the offensive with the word of God and said, oh, no, no, we have God's word. And he referenced Paul's writings and said, listen, we have the letters of Paul, <clears throat> and they're life-changing. <clears throat> I believe hell is real because the Bible speaks of hell being real. I believe that people go there not because they're good or bad, but because they either have a relationship with Jesus Christ as their forgiver and leader and savior, or they don't. Because that's what the Bible says. <clears throat> I believe it's horrific. Outdated? Yeah. Horrific? Oh, yeah. But I believe we have the answer. And so the question then is, what does a group of people do if we know the Bible talks about something that's terrible and we know a lot of people are headed there? What do we do? I I have two responses that I wrote down. If hell is real... The first thing I think we need to do is rejoice. If we have a relationship with Jesus as our Lord and Savior, we need to rejoice that we have salvation. 
forgiveness, hope, peace, eternal security with Jesus. That is our first response. That is my first response. Whoo! Praise God. There is another option. <clears throat> is the gate narrow? Yeah. Are there few who find it? Yep. But glory to God, he chose me to be one of the few. <laughs> if you have a relationship with Jesus Christ, praise God. Celebration should be the number one response. Woohoo! But then there should be a second response. <clears throat> and I think the second response is we need to tell as many people as possible about the good news of hope and forgiveness that's offered through Jesus' death and resurrection. Like, that is our job. <clears throat> On Saturday, December 1st, 1860, hundreds of men and boys descended into the uh, Riska Black Vein Mine. <clears throat> In the previous 14 years, numerous accidents had killed 50 men and boys. The Welsh locals called it the Death Pit. <clears throat> but they hadn't had an accident there in two years ever since they installed a mechanical ventilation system. Oftentimes coal would release flammable gas as it was being broken up and loaded. <clears throat> but, on December, but on that December morning, the ventilation wasn't enough and the air burst into flames, burying dozens of men, their bodies so mangled that they could not be identified later. <clears throat> the explosion also trapped over 100 more who suffocated from the gas. Altogether, 146 died. Some as young as 12 years old. It was the worst mining disaster in Great Britain's history. <clears throat> Imagine having to preach the following Sunday. What would you say? Charles Spurgeon was a 25-year-old preacher in the largest church in London at the time. The nation was in mourning, and his sermon was titled, The Wailing of Riska. It was on everybody's mind. <clears throat> what do you talk about? <clears throat> do you complain about the poor working conditions of the mines? Do you demand that the government step up and do something to stop people's dying? Spurgeon didn't talk about those things at all. He asked his congregation, what if you were one of those mothers or fathers and you hadn't talked with your boy about accepting Jesus as his Savior? And he went down into the mine that day. What if you were one of those wives and you hadn't talked to your husband about accepting Christ for fear that he would mock you? And then he went down into the mine don't wait to tell others about Jesus. Then he made this statement. <clears throat> if sinners will be damned, at least let them leap to hell over our bodies. And if they will perish, let them perish with our arms about their knees, imploring them to stay. If hell must be filled, at least let it be filled in the teeth of of our exertions, and let not one go there unwarned and unprayed for. <clears throat> I, I wonder 
I wonder what our response should be. It's, it's Dave's one-year anniversary with Jesus today. One year ago, somebody was willing to put a family vacation on pause to answer questions he had about Jesus. And I, I won't point out who that was because I don't want to embarrass Chris Cheney, but it was, you know, you think about that and you say, okay, who, who's going to stop your neighbor? Who, who's going to have their arms wrapped around your neighbor's knees? Not allowing them to go to hell without being warned or prayed for. How hard do we make it for our friends that we say we love? <clears throat> Jesus did everything he could. He went to the cross to keep people out of hell. The question really is, are, are we doing everything we can? More and Better Disciples is not just a flowery, cool purpose statement. It's real life. It's real death. It's, eternal, it's eternity in the balance. And at Bridgewater, we say we want to make more and better disciples. The question is, do we? Do we? Two, two people <clears throat> this week saved from hell, an eternity in hell. This lady, Rachel, invited to the ladies' conference, <clears throat> never been to Bridgewater, came and checked it out, came back, Here's the gospel. Here's the, here, here's the story of Jesus for the first time. And after the service, prays and asks him to be her leader and forgiver because somebody invited her. That's the so what. <clears throat> this morning, our kids in the basement, if you have children down there, they're going to be receiving a, a little bag and in there is going to be a card for them to, def to identify one of their friends that they know doesn't know Jesus. And they're supposed to write that friend's name down and pray for that friend. And next week, they're going to get a little bag with an invite card so they can invite their friend to come to church on Easter. I think that's a great idea. We need to set an example for our children. And we need to do that too. So, <clears throat> here's what I'd say. The first thing we need to do, we need to identify who we know that doesn't know Jesus. Who is that? Who is that for you? You need to write them down. And then you need to start praying for them. Not praying that somebody else will find time to invest in their lives, but praying that God will allow you to play a part in that journey. <clears throat> Secondly, after you write their name down and pray for them, you need to invite them to Easter. And as you leave today, you're going to be given two invite cards we probably won't give them to you until you walk out the outer doors because I know that we'll set them down in the bathrooms in the kids ministry 
at the cafe. That's what I would do. Um, but as you leave today, you'll get two invite cards. One to remind you and one to begin praying about who God wants you to invite to Easter. Everybody needs to have the arms of a loving follower of Jesus wrapped around their legs saying, no, hell is real and I love you too much to not tell you about Jesus. If you have children and they could not name somebody who's far from Jesus, you need to expose them somehow to people like that. Because in order for your kids and my kids to do the Great Commission, they have to know people who are far from God. And our role is not isolation. It's infiltration. And if you don't know anybody who's far from Jesus, I say the same thing. We are not called to be followers of Jesus. Jesus did not die on the cross so that you and I could hide with our faith in a corner somewhere. If that was the case, he would have just taken us to heaven immediately to be with him. That is not the goal. The goal is for us to be little ambassadors, little soldiers for Jesus here on earth. That's why we're here. That's why we're supposed to live differently. The Bible says to be in the world, but not of it. Be in the world. Be around people. Be building relationships, leveraging relationships for Jesus. <clears throat> but don't be like them. That's fine. But be around them. Identify who is it that you need to invite. Pray that God will give you an opportunity. And then take that card and invite. Easter is right around the corner. I know that's crazy because I'm looking right outside and it is snowing right now. It is crazy that Easter's around the corner, but it is. If your children come home with those little packets, I want you to reinforce that they are little missionaries. I have people in my life that I can think about, that I shared Jesus with as a little kid, and God saved them. The kite boys accepted Jesus as their Savior. They were my next-door neighbors. There were three of them, and they came to my house for little Bible studies with my mom, and they came to church with us when I was a little kid. God can use children. I have teenagers. They're not teenagers anymore. I have, <clears throat> I have people in my life that I had a chance to lead to Jesus as a high schooler, God uses high schoolers and middle schoolers to share Jesus with their friends. I led a Bible study at school when I was in high school with my friends. It, it is shocking what God did in the lives of people. I'm looking at a daughter of two of the people that he led to Christ, God led to Christ through that time. And Jenna is sitting right there getting ready to marry Dallas and her mom and dad accepted Christ back then in that high school group. Her, her grandpa and grandma? Yeah, her grandpa and grandma accepted Christ that same time. 
Like, it is crazy. And, and she's sitting right here. Her uncle, Scotty, who's one of my best friends, came to Bible college with me. Our friend Troy accepted Christ at the same time. Dan accepted Christ. Lenny, James, I shouldn't start naming. Like, it is shocking what God did. God can use you to have an impact for Jesus. God can use your children. Hell is real. We don't need to fear it because we have a Savior. His name is Jesus. And he died on the cross and purchased a place in heaven for us and for your friends. Do we love them enough? to tell them about Jesus, or, or to invite them where they will hear the gospel. On, uh, on Palm Sunday, the 10th, we will be sharing the gospel very clearly in this service. Easter Sunday, Aaron will be here sharing the gospel in two services at 9 and 1045. <clears throat> Hell is real, it's outdated. But it's real. And wide is the way. Who does God want you to impact this week? Let's pray. Father, I, I uh, am so glad that you did not forget about us, um, that you didn't die on the cross and then leave us to fend for ourselves, but you, you offer us a place in heaven with you, and you give us grace, you give us mercy, you offer forgiveness and hope and peace. And God, those are all things that we love. Thank you. Thank you for salvation. Thank you for being a great Savior. Please help us not to be selfish with that. Help us to, uh, help us to be mobilized for you. I pray that we would be ambassadors for you, for the cross. Not so we can get glory, not so we can look good, but, but because we're grateful for what you did for us and because we love people who are far from you. In Jesus' name, amen.